Fantastic. If you have one of those worksheets, um, please do be looking at those now as we go along. That'll be really helpful for you. Uh, Also, please do reopen your Bibles to John chapter 2 as we uh, go through this passage together. And for the young people, when you filled in a worksheet, uh, they're to take home for you. I think there's some homework questions, actually, to uh, grill the grown-up who brought you to church this morning. Uh, But if you come and see uh, me or Holly or somewhere near the front, there is a little treat if you've filled that in. Um, So make sure you get all the answers right. Uh, to get your treat. Let's, uh, let's just pray briefly before we think about God's word this morning. Father, we do count it a real joy and privilege to have um, Bibles open in front of us, be able to uh, read and uh, hear freely. And so, Father, we pray that you will be our instructor and our teacher. Please, would you soften our hard hearts? Please, would you come with life Please help us to respond with repentance and faith because we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a question on the screen that's asking, what is it that you're passionate about? What is it that's really, really important to you? Let me fire out some ideas. It might be food. It might be family, perhaps sports, toys, tractors, technology, holidays. Uh, maybe something you, I've not even mentioned. And you might think, well, how do we know? How do we know what it is that we're passionate about? Well, if you tune in perhaps to a football match and your team beats another team 7-0 and you're leaping for joy for the rest of the week, maybe that's an indicator of what's important to you. Or maybe you set your timer to be able to go and watch a particular television program. And if you miss it, uh, you get really upset. I was just reflecting the other day with Holly about the days of videotapes when you had to set a timer and the channel. And then, oh, you missed it and you were devastated again. Maybe that's an indicator of what you're passionate about. We get happy, we get sad, we get excited to different levels about many different things. Well, let me ask you now the same question, but about a different person, and that is Jesus. What is Jesus passionate about, do you think? And you might say, well, it's hard to know, but as we read the New Testament, we see on numerous occasions Jesus getting emotional about different things. Times when he is sad, times when he begins to cry, times when he has compassion and he's moved to action, or maybe when he's angry and speaks hard-hitting words. In our passage that we had read to us earlier, we see Jesus getting angry. And please note, this isn't Jesus having a little tantrum flying off the handle like we can be prone to. This is Jesus's controlled anger. He has every right to be angry about what he is observing. And this is, if Jesus wasn't like this, and he wouldn't be good and he wouldn't be God. This is something that's absolutely right and proper. This account in John 2 helps us to understand something that Jesus is passionate about. Jesus is passionate about worship. And this morning, um, as we observe Jesus' passion about worship, hopefully that will make us increasingly passionate 
about him. Our first point, as you can see on the screen, Jesus is passionate about the pure worship of God. Jesus grew up in Israel. He was a Jew. Three times a year, Jewish people had to go to the temple to observe three specific festivals or feasts. They were called the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Booths, not the supermarket, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. When the Israelites were in Egypt, Pharaoh used to make them work every single hour of the day without paternity leave, without weekends off, basically lambing time all the time. That's what it was like, constant, flat out, no break work. He was a slave driver. And then they are rescued from Egypt and their God, their master, their new king says to them, I am commanding you to have feasts and festivals. Wow, what an amazing God. That sounds really good to me. Three weeks of feasting in the year. Sounds incredible. They were to focus on their amazing God and celebrate him together. And in our reading, Jesus was on the way to the temple to celebrate the Passover, which was held at the time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. When Jesus was just a young boy, I expect that Mary and Joseph explained to him what the Passover was all about. God had given his people instructions, words to use when the children of Israel were saying to their parents, what's this feast all about? This is what God told them. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt, spared our homes, and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. So that's what Jesus is going to celebrate, the fact that God passed over their sin and came in judgment on the Egyptians. And the reason why God could pass over their sin was because provision was made. A lamb had to be sacrificed in their place and the blood of lamb had to be placed on the doorframe. A lamb, a substitute, died in the place of the firstborn to cover the sin. Ultimately, of course, all looking forward to the Lord Jesus. God had a very special purpose for this people that he had rescued from Egypt. He brought them into the land of Israel and at the heart of Israel was Jerusalem and at the heart of Jerusalem was the temple. And the temple was the place where God's people met with the living God and God's plan was that all the other nations would look on at Israel and would see Israel as they trusted God prospering. God would give them many, many good things. He would, he would just bless them in so many numerous ways that all the nations around would start to get jealous and they would say, why is it that life is so great in Israel? And they would find out the reason why life is so good in Israel is because of Israel's great God. And God's intention was for all the world 
to go, wow, we wish he was our God. And then they could be drawn into worship of the true living God. And God was so committed to that plan that in that temple that I've told you about at the heart of Jerusalem, there were certain places that were off limits to most people. In fact, there was one room in that temple that you could only go to if you were part of a particular family, you were wearing particular clothes, certain sacrifices had been made and it was a certain day in the year, just one person got to go in. But then in the temple, there were some areas where non-Jewish people could go. That was so that they could see the worship of the living God. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to the temple to worship God. And as he draws near to the temple, he sees something in those outer courts that makes him furious. He gets really angry. This is verse 14. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. Now, Israelites had to travel a long way to get to the temple. And so what happened was, instead of taking livestock with you to sacrifice, you could go to Jerusalem and you could purchase the livestock to sacrifice to the Lord. But what had happened at some point in history is that buying and selling had moved from outside of Jerusalem into Jerusalem and ultimately into those courts, those courts where the Gentiles should be gathering to see worship of the living God. The Gentiles were now being pushed out because instead in in the place was these people who were buying and selling and exchanging money. The place, the, the courts, that should have been a focal point of the relationship between God and man had become a place where people were self-serving, looking, trying to get as much money as they could, pushing God out. They were more passionate about money than the living God who saved them from Egypt. Well, as you can imagine, because Jesus is passionate about the pure worship of God, Jesus gets angry. Look at verse 15. This is just incredible. You would never make this up if it wasn't in the Bible. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? Can you imagine the scene? This is the same Jesus who just, just a few days before, we don't know exactly when, but he did this amazing miracle at this wedding at Cana. So Jesus cares about the blushes of a bridegroom who made a blunder on the catering arrangements, but then he also is absolutely committed to his father and pure worship and is willing to drive those people from the temple. There is a reference there to Psalm 69 verse 9, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus was zealous that he and others should see, seek the Lord and bring him worship. That's what that psalm is all about. And that psalm predicts opposition for those who are passionate about worship of God. Second point. Our second point is pure worship begins when we believe Jesus is God. So Jesus, he drives out these people who are not worshipping God, who are thinking more about themselves and money. And the people who are around do not like this at all. And basically they say to Jesus, who do you think you are? 
Moses, when he went to Egypt to rescue his people, do any of the young people remember what happened? He went and he had a staff with him. That staff became a snake and then it became a staff again. Moses could also put his hand inside his cloak, pull it out and it would become leprous, a skin disease. He'd put it in, pull it out, it'd be clean, it'd be pure again. And all those signs were to prove, authenticate that he was a messenger sent from God. And so these people, these Jewish people, they're gathered around and they're saying to Jesus, what sign have you got? What right do you have to do this? Prove to us that you can drive people out of the temple like this. Now, this is really important. Verse 19. If you have a Bible, please look down. This is really important to understand Jesus's answer. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Now, if I had a bag and I told you that in this bag there was a bat, what would you expect me to pull out? Would you expect me to pull out something like this, a cricket bat? Or would you expect me to pull out something like this, a winged horror, which is basically a rat with wings, a bat? What would you expect me to have in that bag? Probably the first one, of course. But same word, meaning two different things. What is a temple? When Jesus said about the temple, destroy this temple, they thought Jesus was talking about a building, the building, the courts they were in. But that is not what Jesus was referring to. What is a temple? I think we have a quote on the screen. A little bit complicated maybe, but really helpful. The temple is the place supremely designated to serve as the focal point of the relationship between God and man. Simply put, the temple is where God meets with man, where God meets with his people. The temple is supposed to be where people meet with God. Jesus turns up, he shows he's passionate about God receiving worship by driving people out of the temple who are polluting that worship. People want to know what right Jesus has to do that. And what's his answer? His answer is, I am the focal point. This is what Jesus is meaning by verse 19. He's basically saying, I am the focal point of where people meet with God. He's not talking about the bricks and mortar anymore. He's talking about himself. Destroy me and I will raise myself up again in three days. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Just a few years later, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was crucified for our sin. He took our sin on his shoulders. He was definitely dead. He was placed in the tomb. And on the third day, he rose victorious into new life. Now, unfortunately, the religious people who were stood around Jesus couldn't get past the building. They couldn't get the building out of their mind. They didn't realise that the temple was all pointing to Jesus. In fact, after Jesus completed his mission, that temple wasn't needed anymore. People who still think you can meet God in a temple are missing the point of what Jesus came 
to do. Now, in the uh, Lake District, there is a, a very famous place. I don't know if anyone's ever visited there, if you can see that picture. Um, it's called Hilltop. Has anyone been to Hilltop before? Hilltop, very famously, is the farmhouse where Beatrix Potter was inspired to write her stories. And Peter Rabbit is probably the most famous character that she invented. We visited Hilltop, and when you go to Hilltop, you learn much about Beatrix Potter. Um, that's what national, the National Trust want you to do. They want you to go there and effectively meet Beatrix Potter there. You want to, to see where she sat and, and be able to read her books and get a flavour of the environment that she was working in. But now imagine that the National Trust's emphasis changed and they became obsessed with making money. So in the gardens of Hilltop, they installed this Peter Rabbit roller coaster. Okay, And you go into the farmhouse and they ripped out all the old fire and the old kitchen and they installed like a McDonald's type restaurant just to get as many people there as possible. And, um, and obviously that's going to draw loads of people to go and look around this museum. But imagine somehow we managed to get Beatrix Potter to return to Hilltop. Let's use a time machine. Yeah, let's go with that. And she turns up and she's mortified. She pulls out the power supply from the roller coaster. She goes and smashes up the slushy machine in the kitchen. And staff members are horrified. Who do you think you are? What are you doing? What right do you have to do any of this stuff? What would she reply by saying? She'd say, I'm Beatrix Potter. You've got this all wrong. This is where people are supposed to meet me. Would she have the right to do that? Absolutely. But also, what would you now do if you wanted to learn about Peter Rabbit? You wanted to learn about Beatrix Potter. You wouldn't go to Hilltop anymore, would you? You'd go and find her. You'd speak to her to find out all about her because she is Beatrix Potter in the flesh. Pure worship begins not when we go to bricks and mortar, but when we go to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pure worship begins when we believe that Jesus is the living God. Let's start to wrap up. It'll be easy for some of us to think, well, I believe Jesus is God. I understand Jesus is a true temple. And so really, I've not got anything to learn this morning. Well, you couldn't be more wrong. Jesus is passionate about pure worship. And Jesus, although he is the true temple, do you realise that now, if you have faith in Jesus, you individually and us corporately are the temple of the living God. It wouldn't be wrong, actually, to say that the church, I'm not talking about bricks and mortar, we're meeting in a village hall, really helpful to, for this to be in our minds. The people, not the place, the people is the church and we are the place supremely designated to serve as the focal point of a relationship between God and man. Amazing. Jesus cleansed the temple from its polluted worship with whips and cords, but praise be to the living God that he cleanses us, his temple, not with a whip, but by allowing his own body to be destroyed and then rising again on the third day. Not only does Jesus' death prove he is God, but it also cleanses us from our sin, our polluted worship, our love of money, our love of pleasure, sport, all above him. He cleanses us from all that 
so that he can dwell in us. That's how Jesus saves. And so my question for you is, since Jesus is passionate about the worship of God, that means Jesus is passionate about us meeting him as we meet together as part of his church. So are you doing anything to pollute the worship of the living God? Every time we sin individually or corporately, it's like we're setting up a, temp, a, te- a table in the temple court. What should be being used for worship is being used for self. What should be attracting others to the living God is pushing them away. It is an awful thing for a church to tolerate and celebrate sin. It's an awful thing as individuals if we do the same. May God through his son's death on the cross by the power of the Holy Spirit strengthen us and grow us to offer our lives in worship of him. As followers of Christ, let's pray that our passions would increasingly be in line with the passions of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's head of him. Zeal for your house will consume me. May something similar be said of us, that we have such, such a zeal for Jesus and his bride, the church, that we are committed to each other, committed to meeting, not neglecting, meeting together, as is the habit of some. Let's be those who bring glory and honour to God by our commitment to meeting, to bring him adoration, glory and praise. Let's bow our heads together and let's take a moment to reflect on what we've heard. Let's ask for eyes to see more clearly um, the Lord Jesus Christ, for clarity that we are where God dwells now by his spirit. Let's ask for hearts that are passionate about the pure worship of God. We'll do that just for a moment, then I'll pray and then we will sing our final hymn. Father, thank you that you place many good things in our lives, things to enjoy. But please help us to keep things in their proper order and in their proper place. Help us to be passionate about the pure worship of you. Nothing is more important. We were created to bring you glory and to enjoy you forever. May we be zealous for that. May nothing hinder that or get in the way. Please give us a heart, give us a desire more in tune with the desires of the Lord Jesus Christ, because we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.